0: not a lot of time before we dismiss and ask the men to stick behind, and so I'm just going to introduce something that I hope is going to be a regular part of our study together over the coming months. Uh, So we're just going to take a bite off of everything and see how it tastes and see how it goes down. I was thinking about this this week. I was wondering how many of us, because I know what my answer is. I was wondering how many of us would relive, not redo, but relive your high school years. Now, I didn't say redo like I want to go back and do it all over again, knowing what I know now. And I definitely wouldn't have dated that person. And I would have studied harder on that. And I would have paid attention to this and all that kind of stuff. Relive it. Go back through the whole thing, not able to change anything. Any takers? Liars. There's two of you. You liars. Uh, So, um, no, I mean, there is there is this thing that happens in our minds, right? When we think back to the the good old days. When we think about when we were younger, we had more vitality. And I remember when I was in high school, I could do 80 push-ups without even, you know, while holding my breath. And, you know, all these kinds of things uh, that, you know, every girl loved me and all that kind of stuff. And relationships weren't, there was no drama. There was any of those, you know, we have a tendency sometimes to, to romanticize things that are just beginning And I appreciate your honesty about the high school thing, because um, if if you've given it some thought, and I was really thinking about this, going, okay, is this a real question or not? Because sometimes you just need an opener for a sermon. It's not really a real question. But I needed a real question. So I was like, would you go back and ask for me? And I'm glad for those experiences I had. But man, I remember just it always being awkward and it was a struggle and just very difficult to you didn't fit in your own skin and all those kinds of things. But. It takes sometimes a moment of clarity to really reflect, to come to that conclusion. You know, when your back is aching, you're not going, you know, I'd never go back and relive my high school days. You're thinking to myself, I wish I had my younger body, right? When your marriage is struggling, you're like, I wish I'd picked that guy instead of this guy. Why didn't I make it work with him? Those are the things that we go through when there's trouble or when there's chaos or when there's something going on in our life. But when we really take a moment, and think about it, we're like, OK, Lord, I'm glad we got through all that. And I'm glad I'm where I'm at now, at least able to see these things. I was watching a, a movie last week that was chronicling the start of a major tech company. And um, see what I do for fun in my off time? Um, and it talked about it was showing how. That, that very, um, the, the buzzword these days is organic, right? So Pastor Bill just, I, I, I can get paid for the sermon now because I use the word organic. <laughs> Google any church sermon and they will bring up the word organic. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was this very organic experience. You know, the company started in the garage just amongst the friends. They had an idea. They think the mar- They thought the market would love this. Sure enough, the market loved it. And so a backer came in, somebody with some real deep pockets said, I can get behind this. And then they started writing some contracts. And the guys were initially thinking, we get paid to do the thing that we love to do. And they spent all this time in like this assembly line in the garage doing this. But then the, the idea really took off. And it got real substantial, real quick. And the film almost shows it jump like that until all of a sudden it's a corporate complex and people are dressed up a little bit better. There's a board of directors like people that really know what they're doing with business. And you see the guys that were on the ground floor starting to really struggle with this concept that as we've gotten bigger, we've lost that organic feeling. We've lost the looseness. We lost the, the risk. We've lost the uh, the newness to everything. And, and I was watching this going, you know, isn't that what we do? We resist growth. We resist the change to where when, when, when things happen in a good way and things start to mature, it requires us to apply some rules and some, some responsibility, some regulation, if you will, to make sure this thing stays alive. But it's really hard to to look forward to that, isn't it? We romanticize the early years. And especially in a church environment, you know, we, we have a tendency to look at the church as sort of this, you know, we hear this a lot uh, those that are studying on church growth and things, you'll hear writers always say the church isn't an organization, it's an organism. And I understand what they mean by that. What they're saying is it should breed life. It shouldn't just be real sterile and everything. But there is a natural tendency to resist the details, to resist the the awkward responsibility that comes with growth. As you and I got older and we took on more responsibility. We couldn't be, you know, the frat boy or the frat girl or something. Those people don't they don't stay. Uh, um, they, they, they fall out of place very quickly when they don't adjust with their age and pick up those responsibilities. Right. That guy who was the life of the party and everyone wanted to be around him. Now, all of a sudden, it's just really awkward to be around because he just won't grow up. I mean, we've got children now. We've got to get to bed at 10 o'clock if we're going to get up at six to get to the gym and to do all these, you know, and that guy is looking at, oh, man, what happened? You guys were sellouts, man. And, and at the same time, though, he goes home and he looks in the mirror and says, but they're moving on and they don't seem like they're sellouts. They don't seem disappointed. They, and that's just the way that goes is as the church grows and matures, as it has for the last two millennia, it is necessary for us to adopt some structure for us to do things the proper way and the right way. And so part of my call to you this morning is to not um, be discouraged and to push back the things that God is doing in order for good church to happen. If any of you have uh, tried to make a budget uh, in your finances, I guess that'd be a good place to make a budget in your finances, uh, You might say, oh, I don't really want to get into all this. I mean, it just sounds like being a real nerd and being a bean counter and all that sort of stuff. We're going to make sure this goes this way and everything. But then all of a sudden you start doing that. You're like, I think I might have extra money this month. What's going on with this? You know, a, a tighter, very accurate budget starts to free up things sometimes. And I believe that is what God has always intended for a body of believers as they come together and as they grow And as he says, now, this is the way good church has to happen. It frees us up to be more effective. Inevitably, if you talk about uh, getting the church back on track, someone's going to bring up the book of Acts and someone's going to talk about how it was when it was first forming, when it was new and it was fresh and it and it still had that new car smell to it. And, and the disciples and the, and, the, and the people that were just converting, they were coming together. And, and we always look at it and go, boy, they were getting together every single day. They were breaking bread together. They were just bringing their stuff to the church saying, I don't really need this anymore. I've got Jesus now. So you take this. If somebody needs something, give it to them. And we see those accounts in Acts. And it is amazing what the Holy Spirit was doing. And then the church gets tempted because we start looking at, well, we kind of function in clean lines. You know, we like show up for Sunday. We do a small group, maybe, or we join Ray's class. Another plug there, Ray. Um, You know, you do those things and we just kind of function in clean lines. But I wish it was like the old days. And there's a reason why we long for that, because it's it's romantic. It's it's fresh. It's risky. We don't know what's around the corner. The problem comes when we start to force it. And we say, well, we're going to manufacture newness. We're going to manufacture something fresh. What that ends up doing for us is it starts to get us to think that somehow God is anti-organization, that somehow, somehow God is anti-structure because the Holy Spirit was really there in the early days and eh, not so much now. But I would challenge you not to fall into that trap. God is just as much alive in his church today as he ever was. And I know that the church has a lot of cleaning up to do. I know that the church universal has a lot of things that we have to straighten out. We're going to get to how that can start to happen. But please don't make the mistake of thinking that's where God lived. And somehow he's just kind of walking away from his church. That isn't happening. I'm going to make a fairly bold statement. It might sound a little self-serving since I'm a pastor here on staff, but uh, here it goes anyway. The success of the church has always been and will always be built on strong leadership. As we start getting back to the scriptures, because I want to challenge us as we go through this series, probably once a month for a while, we're going to start looking at what does God want to call us back to for, for a strong, stable church environment. And I believe it starts with leadership. Leadership. And so God has has given us some instruction on what he wants us to be focusing on. And and we know that leadership isn't going in a great direction around us, is it? I mean, all you have to do is pay attention to a few headlines and see what's going on with Putin and, and taking over Crimea and like muscling up on the Ukraine. And now this this big war about is Obama looking weak and is Putin looking more manly and everything like leadership and the definition of leadership is really up in the air and it's really kind of murky. And uh, if you and I would just take any leader you could picture, of course, we're going to think of the top office in the country, but think of our local governments, think of the business that you work in and think about how we have watered down the definition of leadership so much so that it becomes almost like a game of American Idol where it becomes, we look for other things in our leaders other than something that we can really sink our teeth into, something that is built on a foundation. And God is saying, it's not just the culture around you, the scarier warning has come to the church. In 1 Timothy 4, uh, in the beginning of the chapter... Paul warns Timothy in his letter. Paul is trying to uh, shape up Timothy. He's trying to encourage him. Timothy is taking on this responsibility of leading the church in Paul's absence. Paul can no longer just make it to Timothy. And so Paul knows part of good leadership is to to plant and give room to breathe. And so as he's doing that, he's sending him these two letters. And he's trying to encourage him what to be on the lookout for. And he says in chapter four, he says, but the spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. In the second letter, he doesn't uh, let off the gas. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. What Paul is warning Timothy about is that don't don't think this is just going to naturally start falling apart. There is going to be a time where it's going to accelerate, where people are going to no longer be able to tolerate real truth or what he referred to as sound doctrine. And they will actively find your replacement, Timothy. They will go and say, we're done with this kind of teaching. We are shutting that off and we are going and seeking the thing that we want to hear. He says in the in the first passage that we read, he says that they're going to be paying attention to deceitful spirits, that they're going to allow their 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 lies to be seared into their conscience. It's like a like a branding iron, like burning into them. And They're saying, OK, I know it's going to sting, but this is what I choose to believe right now. I mean, if you just scan the way people are looking at at truth and redefining it and turning it up on its head, you'd have to make the conclusion they are willfully believing a lie. It's not that a lot of this stuff makes sense to them. They're just saying, I think that's what I choose to believe. And in Second Timothy, he says, they're not going to be able to adore it. He said, they will actually go out and accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And that word teachers jumped out at me because I'm thinking, are they really teaching if, if you go and find a leader, it's going to tell you what you want to hear rather than what you need. Then you're really not learning, are you? You've already come to the conclusion you just want to hear it echoed from someone in front of you. And so any leader who starts from a position of giving the people what they want versus what they need is just charting a course of destruction. Both for himself, his, his time in that leadership position is going to be short lived. Or he's charting a a course of destruction even more tragically for the people that are choosing to follow him. So if we say that the, the church health is built on good leadership, we'd have to say, "Uh oh, we're in trouble because our pool is only so deep, right, that we can draw from. But fortunately, the scriptures give us the direction of where we need to go. And as I said in the outset, God is not going to let this thing fall by the wayside just because of the direction that culture is taking. In that passage that we read out of Second Timothy, just a couple of surrounding verses, this is, this is where he had said the time will come when they won't endure sound doctrine and they will go and find those teachers for them." What is the antidote to that? He says, now, Timothy, I want you to adjust with the culture. Right. If they don't want to hear it anymore, you have to just get more creative. You got to jump through more hoops. You got to juggle fire and everything because you need to. He doesn't say that at all. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And later on, he says, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry, Timothy. Don't give in to the pressure that's coming in saying, would you please lighten up already? Remember when we were just getting ready to sing the new song once and for all? I mean, you make a declaration that we believe that Jesus is God. For you and I that have been in church for a long time, we go, you know, I could get behind that statement. Obviously, it's biblical. But you drop that out in the world and all of a sudden it just cuts through like a knife. Because don't you mean you believe Jesus is your God? Don't push him on us. Don't force him down on us. And instantly, the attack is on. And and this is what Paul is warning Timothy, that in those days, not just the culture, but it will start to creep in the church. When we start making a bold stand, he says, so press harder, preach louder, turn up the volume, Timothy, don't back down. So fortunately, by God's providence, Timothy was not a leader that was just going to tell the people, what they wanted to hear. And the interesting thing is you see Paul's words to Timothy. You get the impression he's probably a very timid guy. He's probably the kind of guy who needs some. Are you sure, Paul, I'm doing this the right way? Are you you sure you want me to step on the gas a little harder? And Paul saying, yes, I want you to do that. Paul is pushing for more teaching, harder teaching, louder teaching in the face of intolerance of the truth. And that is the only defense that the church is going to have. If the church is going to continue to survive through the centuries like it has thus far, it needs people that are willing to just continue to state the truth, be emphatic about it, do it in a creative or compelling way, but don't back down from the truth just because that's the direction your culture is going. I'm always, uh, I guess going back to the example of the movie I was watching, I'm always intrigued to see, you know, most of us would think that you go out and you start a new idea and you want to build a company or you want to do something great and it, and it has a, a financial reward. Most of us would think you hit a per- particular place that earns you your freedom so you don't have to be chained to a desk. You know, you've made those few million dollars or whatever, or you've sold your company to a bigger company and you've got that payout. Now you can just, you know, fish and do nothing else. And yet, inevitably, most of these guys that had the idea from the beginning have a hard time backing away from it, have a hard time leaving the job, have a hard time not going in at eight in the morning and starting their day with all of the responsibility and the pressures and things. Where does that come from? We have our own word for it here in America, right? Workaholic. But maybe there's a drive or a passion that's something that is somehow I'm not excusing workaholism. Please don't get me wrong. But maybe it started off with something that is in the image of our of our creator as we are uh, our, our, as, as man is made in the image of God, because God has this baby that he's that he's formed, if you will, if I could put that in quotes. God is, has this baby called the church and he says I want my love I want ministry I want everything that I am to be represented through this this poor broken little vessel this incomplete imperfect people led people populated thing that is going to mess it up along the way is going to is going to uh, change directions. I'm going to have to keep pulling them back. I am going to have to set them straight. They're going to come up with all sorts of varieties on how to do this. These people are going to emphasize this more than these people and they're going to be out of balance and everything. But this is the, the vehicle I have chosen to to demonstrate to the world my love and my patience and all of the things that I am and about the character of God. And God is not about to watch that thing crumble when He's put that much into it. I mean, He gave His very life for the church. And so when we watch uh, uh, God not back away from this, when we see Him not let off the gas pedal, we have to trust He has a reason for doing this. He's not going to let this falter. And so he's given us a standard. He's given us something that we can that we can look to and say, what is the way that the church is supposed to function? Where do we start? And as I said, if we're starting with leadership, let's go to the words that Paul has given Timothy uh, in just a few minutes that we have here. Chapter three, beginning in verse one. Paul tells Timothy it's a trustworthy statement. He's emphasizing, I want you to really listen to this because you can stand on this one. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, let's define that then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so that he'll not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil? And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, the overseer that Paul is referring to is who we would call an elder or a pastor or a shepherd, somebody who is leading, charged and tasked with leading the flock of God. And you can see from this list that, that the, the, the list is pretty steep. There's a lot of things in there that you would say, OK, that's going to be hard to find those people. And so what we're going to do is each time we open up this passage, we're going to define uh, these, these phrases and these qualifications step by step. But an elder, we, we were teasing the uh, membership class. We just did a few weeks of eldership classes and uh, uh, eldership classes, membership classes. And I always asked the elders to, to stop in and sort of introduce themselves and share their testimony about how they came to know the Lord. And, um, and I was disappointed because none of the elders showed up with their black robe cloaks and their staff that we gave them when we voted them in as elders. And uh, and and that obviously isn't the truth that they don't have that. But sometimes when we think of an elder, we think of this very austere figure and secretive and the meetings that we have are in the in, in the dark corners of the church and everything. In fact, when we meet as a shepherding team is what we call our elder team. Uh, it's well lit and there's usually peanut M&Ms available. So it's real, you know, real serious and ominous. But um What we're going to discover as we begin to define what makes an elder is you're going to see that God has always provided for his bride the right kind of leadership. If the people are looking for it, if the church is being responsible to raise it and if the church is being faithful enough to stick to the standard that God has given us. So when we keep coming back to this passage of scripture, what we're going to be establishing is that the very primary step that we need to take to strengthen the church and ensure its longevity is to make sure the leadership is right and make sure the leadership uh, can look in the mirror of these passages of scripture of these verses and qualifications and say, this is this is who I am. This is who I need to continue to be by the grace of God. You know, the interesting thing about these qualifications is as you look at what the world would put up as a leader. I know what you're expecting me to say. If you put those two lists together and you say, over here we have God's list of the leaders of the church and it has this really nice ring to it. It's pretty steep, but at the same time we're going, okay, I can really see why God would use somebody like that to lead the church. And then you put the world's list up. What you'd expect to see on the world's list, written by Satan himself, is the exact opposite of every point of that list. uh, That counter to that that there's no agreement in anything. But, but here's the deception of the enemy. is He will take all the best things that God has created and he'll just tweak it. He'll taint it. And so you look at this list and you say, I bet we could find people in our higher offices, people in our, in our workplaces, people in our family and stuff that resemble some pieces of these things to some extent, but something's just a little off. And understand that has been the patient strategy of the enemy all along. If I can tweak it, manipulate it and just taint it a little bit, eventually it will weaken the church. Eventually it will water it down. Eventually you'll end up with what we see now globally, which is a church that is really shaking by the knees at the things that are coming to our doorstep. But it is not everywhere. God is not done with the church God has leadership in place, and by God's grace, your church here at Faith will continue to strive to uphold these qualifications, albeit extremely imperfectly, but that is where we are going to begin. So let's get ready to go down this journey. Please review this passage of scripture, even if you would, and start looking at some of these words. I mean, pugnacious, really? Who wants to define? No, don't do. Would you please stand? Lord God, in the uh, in the brief time that we had this morning, I pray that your word uh, fell on hardened hearts. I pray it was also an encouragement to those, Lord, that are hungry for you. I pray, Lord, that uh, even as we just are skimming the surface of, of this passage, that you would give your people confidence in your strength. Give people confidence in your ability to maintain and to protect your bride, the church. Lord, all we strive to do is to care for it the best we can. Following your voice, following your leadership, Lord, for you are the perfect one. And so, God, as we lift our voices up this morning, as we offer you our praise and our prayers and our attentive minds and hearts to your word, I pray you'd continue to be pleased with your people to enough in order to continue to use us, to bring in the lost, to bring in the hopeless, to bring in the wanderer and to point them on a new direction. So, Lord, we thank you, God, for all that you do through this body and the many that are like it around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.